thing turned on here. All right. It is a joy to be here at Waldridge Baptist Church. Thank you, Pastor Weber, for the invitation to come. It is dangerous if you have too many redheads under one roof. Uh, but uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, my beautiful wife, Tabitha, and I have been married 15 years. The Lord's blessed our home with four little missionaries. Our oldest, Reese, is 13. Uh, Miss Julie is 10. Mr. Logan is 9. And Mr. Wesley is 3 years old. And uh, it is a joy uh, to be here with you this evening. Uh, you're catching us right at the end of our deputation. We uh, have been on the road now uh, just over 25 months, and we are happy to report uh, our goal is to leave next month for the mission field. So we're trusting God to provide uh, the remainder of our support um, and uh, looking forward to, to heading over there to Germany. I thought I'd begin tonight with just a personal testimony, and that way... Uh, of an introduction of ourselves, uh, but I was born and raised uh, right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, into a Christian home. I had a very godly grandmother named Maxine, and uh, because of her, uh, she drugged me as a child. She drugged me to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever the doors were open at the church, uh, and if I were to be honest with you, occasionally she drugged me to the woodshed when I needed it. But uh, I had a grandmother that, that believed in, in discipline and also in, in making sure I was in the Lord's house. Uh, because of her, I probably heard uh, the gospel presented to me at least a thousand times before I ever made a decision. I'm thankful what an opportunity I had, but many around the world never have one single opportunity to hear the gospel. And uh, I heard it no, numerous times, but I did make a decision December the 14th in 1997 at my home church in Fayetteville, Georgia, as a 14-year-old young boy, I, I made a decision to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone to take me to heaven. Up until that point in my life, I tried to be a good young boy. I thought my good works were going to earn me a way to heaven. And I found out in this old King James Bible, you don't find that anywhere in there, but it's by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what He did on Calvary's cross... I'll never forget the day I was saved. After that, I was a perfect child. I didn't think I'd get that by you, but there's a spirit of unbelief in this place. And uh, no, I am not fooling you. I was not a perfect child after that. Uh, but one year later, my mom made the decision to enroll me in Christian school, remove me out of the public school system there in Georgia. And uh, because of that, I got to grow and learn about my Lord, number one. But number two, I met my dear wife there. And I was 15 years old. She was 13 when the puppy love began. We were both young and dumb. Not a lot's changed. She's still young and I'm still dumb. But uh, it's a joy to have a wife that loves me and, and, and to serve the Lord alongside her. And uh, we're excited for what God is doing in our ministry. Uh, I After high school, 2002, I graduated. I made another important decision in my life to join the United States Air Force. And uh, being from Georgia my whole life, uh, I've always wanted to be uh, in Georgia, and to prove to you tonight, God has a sense of humor. They gave me a set of orders that said Germany, and I said that starts with a G, but that's not Georgia. And uh, it, I was very right. I didn't know how right I was, but there we are. I arrived in Germany. My wife joined me three months later, and uh, it didn't take very long at all to really where we really began to fall in love with the people there. 
Uh, for those that may have had an opportunity to travel there, you can testify. But uh, Germany is an absolutely beautiful country. Uh, it has such rich history, World War II, and, and even the Protestant Reformation coming out of there. Uh, and Germany has so many wonderful things to offer, but what it does not offer its people are Bible-preaching churches. Uh, Germany claims to be 60% Christian. Uh, they sat down the middle with 30% being the Roman Catholic Church, the other 30% being the Lutheran Church. And the teachings of the, either of those religions, they are works-based salvation. So there are a lot of Germans who have put their faith in religion to get them to heaven and, it, and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel message that we plan to take. It's by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that we can have forgiveness of sins and, and a home in heaven one day. And so uh, that's a great need there. We served, I served in the United States Air Force just over five years in Germany station at Spangdalem Air Base in southwest Germany. Now, there's a missionary that surrendered to go there and planted a church there to reach 4,500 Americans there. So there is a wonderful independent Baptist missionary church, and an independent Baptist church, that are reaching our military, but they are surrounded by millions of Germans without one Bible-preaching church reaching the Germans. And so that's how the Lord really stirred our hearts and gave us a burden for the German people in a service just like this. We in a little German town is where Eiffel Baptist Church is. And we my wife and I were sitting in the congregation just like you, enjoying a church service, and we would see Germans come into the back of the church and look around to see what is going on. They were curious. And sadly we would see them turn around and walk out because no one could speak the language there. And it, it really burdened my wife and my heart that God cares about them just as much as He does about me, and why is no one going after them? And so we left Germany in 2010 with a tremendous burden uh, for Germany. And uh, during Bible college here at Crown College, right here in Knoxville, we called home for about four years, uh, God really began to stir us in the area of missions. And so in 2016, I took a survey trip over to Germany and was asking the Lord for direction on where to go. And God made it very clear on that trip that we were to go back to Germany to work alongside our former church, Eiffel Baptist Church, but to plant the first independent Baptist church, German-speaking, reaching German people in the Eiffel region of Germany. And so the Eiffel region is home to just over 200,000 Germans. And there, by our records that we have researched, uh, we cannot find evidence of one Baptist church ever existing in that region that is reaching Germans. And so it is a pioneering work. There's nothing ever been done there. Uh, they're, they're, most of them are very staunch Catholic in that region. And they will tell you, you knock on the door and you'll tell, they will tell you uh, that we are Catholic. And, the, and, and you ask them, well, where do you attend church? And they say, well, I, I don't go to church. I'm a Catholic because my mother was a Catholic. And my grandmother was a Catholic. And so really their, their hope is not in Jesus Christ. It's in tradition. And it's in that, that religion. And so uh, please pray for us as we seek to bring the gospel to the German people. I speak a little German. Uh, we learned just traveling German while we were there in Germany. Uh, but our goal is to begin language school when we arrive, Lord willing, next month. Uh, and then uh, begin to work to plant a church there and bring the gospel to the Germans. 
If I could give you three things, uh, if you have anything to write down, a pen or paper, uh, to write down, I'd give you three prayer requests. The first one is pray that Germany's borders would reopen. Right now, they've closed down their borders for the pandemic. They're allowing about 20 countries into Germany, and America did not make the list. And so April the 18th, if you write that next to that, April the 18th is when they're planning to reopen the country, and we're excited for that. We hope the Lord will open it and allow us to head over there and to begin the work there. Uh, The second thing we'd ask you to pray for is the remainder of our deputation. Now, I'm excited to say, and, and also a little heartbroken at the same time, but this is our last scheduled deputation meeting. We're excited for that. We're trusting the Lord to provide the rest of our support. And then, uh, and then the last thing I would ask you to pray for is three German families. And what I mean by that, when we began deputation two years ago, we began praying that God would work in the hearts of three German families that by the time we arrived in Germany, they would get behind us and to help us to see the church established there in Germany. And so we believe God is able. I'm excited for that. Out in the foyer there, I'll make mention very quickly uh, of our our prayer card. One of the greatest things on there is that family you see on there. Uh, It's a beautiful family there. Uh, They're fun to look at. Uh, The Lord threw me in this family just to to keep the pride down, keep us humble. Keep us humble, but uh, I am thankful for our family. And we would we would love it if you would take one of these, take it, put it somewhere that you frequent often. If it were me, it would be the refrigerator. I go there often. And uh, anytime you see our prayer card, we'd love you to pray uh, for the Murdoch family. If you have your Bibles this evening, would you take the Word of God, please? You can open it anywhere. It's all good. Uh, but if you want to follow along with me tonight, we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter number 4. I'm always excited to preach God's Word. And uh, I'm excited for what God's uh, put on my heart for this evening. Um, but I thought I'd begin tonight while you're turning there with uh, a little bit of, of my uh, my Air Force experience. So I served uh, there in Germany just over five years, about three months there in Germany. And uh, my job in the Air Force was I was an aircraft mechanic. Uh, specifically, I worked on avionics on fighter jets, the F-16. And so uh, kind of my day-to-day operations were to go out, perform operational checks on the aircraft there, and uh, make sure that they were ready for the pilot when they came out to, to do their flights. Well, every every month out there in Germany, they would have what we call a readiness exercise. And during that readiness exercise, if you remember young men, young ladies uh, growing up, if you ever played war, that's, a, that's really what a readiness exercise is. That's where uh, for one week, every month, our entire base would pretend as if we were at war. And so uh, my job being around the aircraft and doing these checks uh, while the pilot were getting ready to go up on these flights, so I'd be around a running aircraft all the time. And uh, during these readiness exercises, uh, there were very high-ranking uh, officers and enlisted that their job was they were exercise evaluators. And what their job was was to to watch us perform our duties and to make sure that we were doing them correctly. And so y'all can help me and y'all be the exercise evaluators. And uh, I'm going to pretend this beautiful piano right here is an F-16. And so as we were working on the aircraft, it'd be running, there'd be a pilot in the seat. 
And uh, during those exercises, what they would do is they would call out over the bass loudspeaker and they'd say that word. They'd say exercise, exercise, exercise. And whatever came after that, you had to respond accordingly, just like it was real world. It was really happening. So they'd call out over that radio and they'd say exercise, exercise, exercise. Aircraft 829 at spot 70 is on fire. And so, you know, we'd all run around like chickens with our head cut off. No, we didn't, we couldn't do that. The truth is we had to respond because we were being evaluated on our duties. And so, and me being the NCO, I'd go over and I'd get the big fire extinguisher and I'd stretch out the hose and I'd pretend to put out the imaginary fire. I'd say, Hey, airman, you go call the base fire department, report this to the fire department and get an engine coming out here. And then they'd call out over the radio. In the midst of that, they'd say, exercise, exercise, exercise. This man right here has been wounded by by a a mortar strike nearby. Uh, He's wounded. And so I'd have to set the hose down and I'd run over and I'd check on him. Is he bleeding? Where's he bleeding from? It's a chest wound. Is it is it a bubbling chest wound? Is it gushing blood? You know, and you you rely on that training that you were you was was were trained in. And so you check him out and you'd bandage him up. You put pressure on the wound. You put maybe a tourniquet on it if it was a leg or an extremity wound. And so then you'd run back over here and you'd pick up the hose and you'd put it out while the evaluators were watching. And then they'd say, exercise, exercise, exercise. The base is now under chemical attack. You've got 90 seconds to put on your chem gear or you're all dead. And so very quickly, in the midst of all that, you'd run over and you'd grab your chemical gear and you'd put on your gas mask. You'd do your seal check to make sure you had a good seal. You'd put on your chem suit. You'd put on your gloves. You'd put on your chemical boots. And then you'd go over and check on him. Is he still, has he got a pulse? Is he bleeding still? Make sure that bandage, let's change that out. And then we'd check him out and then we'd pick up the hose and we'd, we'd put that, that fire out. And then guess what they'd do? They'd say, exercise, exercise, exercise. Now the base is being overran by the enemy. Get your weapon and prepare for battle. I don't know if you get where I'm going with this, but you're thinking, what in the world are they doing to me? You know, exercise is a word I don't like, if you couldn't tell already. I still have nightmares about those exercises. But listen, those exercises had a very important role in our military training. And the truth is, those exercises, their entire purpose was to see whether or not we were prepared for battle. Well, listen, church, every Christian here from the youngest to the oldest, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is a war going on right outside those church doors in this world. Not only is it, is it for the young or from the old, from the old, from the grownups, but no, they're after your children. Guess what? If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you might as well have a target on your back. And the truth is, the world, they're those exercise evaluators. And what they're doing is they're watching to see how you're going to respond. They're going to, they're, they're watching to see what, how you're going to react to it. And I don't know, there are many people here and I don't know a whole lot of you. I see a couple familiar faces, but the truth is, you know, everyone in here has some kind of problem. And I'm not being prophetic in that. The truth is, you go from church to church and you hear about financial crises and you hear about health conditions or bad reports from the doctor or that bill that you weren't expecting in the mail and it came or some wayward child that got away from you. Hey, the world is watching and the world is seeing how you're going to react to those things. Well, I wonder if we were to have a readiness exercise 
in here this evening, I wonder how many of us would say we are ready to serve God. And that's the title of my message tonight. Are you ready to serve God? Matthew chapter number 4. Look with me, will you, at verse number 18. I'm going to read down a little ways. It says, And Jesus, walking by the sea... Yes, please stand if you are able, please. It says in verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, verse 22, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Would you pray with me? Bow with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit, Lord. I consider it an honor and, and I don't take that lightly, Lord. I pray that you'd use me, Lord, this message you've laid on my heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do a work in hearts and may Jesus receive honor and glory for all that's said and done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm going to preach just a short time this evening on this subject. Are you ready to serve God? Now, we just read a passage about Jesus Christ calling those first disciples unto Himself. You know, every great work of God uh, can be, uh, if you follow it back to the beginning, it always began with Jesus calling someone unto Himself. And here we see Him calling these first disciples. Uh, he, he approaches them there on the shores of Galilee. They had just come back from an entire night fishing. Uh, if you if you take notes, write down Luke chapter number five. Don't turn there uh, for sake of time tonight. Uh, but the the apostle Luke records in Luke chapter five the same account here, and uh, he said something interesting in Luke chapter five, verse number five. It, it says that they had toiled all night long. They had toiled all night long. You know the story. They had come back that evening. Uh, their their nets were empty. And, and then here come Jesus on the scene calling them unto Himself. And so on that subject of being ready to serve God, I want to point out a couple principles we see from this passage uh, tonight. The first one of those being the passion of the disciples. That we see the passion of the disciples. And what do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean by that is that here Jesus comes on the scene and they had just come back from toiling all night long. Down in Georgia... Uh, whenever you go fishing, if you come back and you didn't catch anything, we call that getting skunked. And so uh, these men had just come back from an whole, a whole night fishing, uh, toiling, and their nets were empty. They got skunked. They say the worst day fishing is better than the best day at work. I believe that. And, and no, but these men had come back, and, and, and we can see from this passage the passion they had. Because what, what did Jesus find? He finds them coming back, and what are they doing? They're mending their nets. What are they doing? They're repairing them, getting them prepared to go out and do it again the, the next night. I tell you, you can see the passion they had about it. Because a lot of Christians today, when they face something difficult, when they face some trial, what do they do? They put a for sale sign on it. They put it on Craigslist. They put it on Facebook Marketplace and get rid of that thing. 
No, we see the disciples here, they didn't give up. They had passion in them about what they were doing. I mean, it was their livelihood, but I think they enjoyed it. And there he finds them. They're mending their nets and they're getting it ready to go out and do it again. I tell you, you got to be passionate about something when you fail miserably at it. And guess what? I'm, I'm, but hey, I'll tell you what, you can ask any man that loves fishing. If he has a bad day of fishing, you can call him up and say, Hey, you want to go fishing tomorrow? You betcha. You betcha. Hey, that's the, and that's the truth about it. We see the passion of the disciples. But let me ask you this evening. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? The truth is, if you want to find out what someone is passionate about, number one, listen to what they talk about. The psalmist tells us, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaketh. I find that true everywhere we go. Your church is the 181st church we've been in. It's in 25 months. And you know what was common in every one of those churches? If you get around a grandmother, who do you think she's going to talk about? Those grandbabies. Every time. Every church. The truth, why is that? Because her heart is filled with such love for those grandbabies. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Hey, what if we were so filled with the love of God that we couldn't do anything else but talk about Him to everyone we encountered? Hey, what if, what if, what if you were so filled with the love of God? You know what? Sometimes I, I agree. We don't have time to get in full, uh, full-fledged hour-long conversations with people. But hey, a gospel track will go a long way. You know what? Keep a, keep a, keep a pocket full of gospel tracks at all times. And wherever you go, if you don't have time to talk about them, let that gospel track do the talking. But no, what, what do we find? Our, if you want to know what someone is passionate about, Listen to what they talk about. The truth is, if any of us men would go over to Bass Pro Shop there in Kodak, Tennessee, and you walk in those doors, those turnstiles, and they say, congratulations, you're our one million customer here. This right over here, you've won this this Chevrolet Z71 four-door, followed by this Nitro Z21 Bass Boat. 250 horsepower mercury on the back of that thing. Hey, I'll tell you what. I tell you what, if you receive that greatest gift, you go home, you call every man in your phone book on your phone. You pick up the old white pages and you call people you don't know and tell them about the great good news that just happened to you. But hold on. If you've been born again, if you've been, if you, you've been bought with a price, if you're a child of God, a son of God, you've received the greatest gift you could ever receive. But do you tell anyone about it? If you want to know what someone's passionate about, number one, listen to what they talk about. Number two, find out what they spend their time doing. Everywhere we go, yeah, those grandmothers, they talk about those grandbabies. But you know what also? They, they don't just talk about them. They spend time with them. You know, many of us, we all, man, I love the Lord. Well, hey, how much time do you spend daily with them? And it goes well beyond that, not only in our relationship with Him, but uh, I, I've, I've heard this said, what if your relationship with the Lord was the same type of relationship you had with your spouse? Would your spouse appreciate that? Then would the Lord appreciate that? No, oftentimes we treat the Christian life as if it's just some checklist. You know, i got to be a five-star Christian, read my Bible, check, pray every day, check. Have a walk with the Lord check. 
go go witness to somebody check. No, 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 no. The truth is we ought not treat the Christian life like it's some sort of checklist. But how much time do we spend with the Lord? We, you'd think we were crazy if we said, I, I love fishing. And he said, well, how much time do you spend fishing? I've never been. He'd say you're crazy. But we say we love the Lord, but how much time do you spend with Him? You know, spending your time is a lot different than investing your time. The, tr- the truth is, anything we spend uh, in, in the work, in the gospel work, is an eternal investment. And guess what? Those have something called a return on investment. Hey, guess what? I've never seen one of those hearse followed by a U-Haul truck. Why? Because you can't take it with you. But let me encourage you, you can send it ahead of you. You can earn crowns in heaven to cast at Jesus' feet. Hey, but there's a whole lot of investing done on this side. On this side of eternity, isn't there? And that's the last one. Uh, or, uh, if you want to know what someone's passionate about, number one, what do they talk about? Number two, what do they spend their time doing? And number three, what do they spend their money on? They say, if you want to know what someone's passionate about, find out what they spend their money on. Look at their bank statement. I believe that. There's a lot of it, investing and a lot of money and things spent on, on, on temporal things that are one day going to pass away, but what are we investing in eternity? A church this size, no doubt, I, I'm sure your pastor is just looking for people that are willing to help and willing to serve in many ways. Not only going about through Knoxville, Knox County, Powell, this greater area here, but no, no, not only that, but to work in the children's uh, ministry here and in the and in the Sunday school ministry and, and all of those. There's There's a wonderful thing you can invest your time in here. If you want to know what someone is passionate about, just look at those things. We see the passion of the disciples. Number two, we see the preparation of the disciples. Jesus tells them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The truth is, you know the story. They left their boats, they left their net, their father, and they and they followed Jesus. Why? Because there had to be a time for them to prepare to serve the Lord. And just like they they claim that America is a Christian nation, I do have hope in that. But the but the truth is, if America is a Christian nation, we're we're a mile wide, but we're an inch deep. There is no depth to Christianity anymore. That when a young person walks an aisle and makes a decision, oftentimes they make a decision to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and their Christian life ends right there. They never get grounded in a, in a local church. They never get trained up through the Sunday school, through the children's church, and, and through discipleship. And, and, and what happens? They go out into the world and they become a casualty. In 1939, our nation's army had just over 174,000 members. In just a few short years, that number ramped up to over 8 million. They trained men at an alarming rate many claiming they weren't fully prepared. The result, the chances of survival on D-Day morning, June 6, 1944, was less than 25%. That meant out of every four of our service members, three of them perished. That means you perished, you perished, you perished, congratulations, you made it. You perished, you perished, you perished, congratulations, you made it. You get what I'm saying. And, and the truth is, we're we're training up and you know, our, our young people make a decision. They go out into the world and they become a casualty of the world. We wonder why our churches and our families are struggling so much today in America and why we see what taking place in society. 
It's because we have a lot of unprepared Christians. We see the passion of the disciples. Secondly, we see the preparation. The third thing we see from this passage is the potential of the disciples. Now, what do I mean by that? I I thought a lot about the disciples and what it must have been to be one of those chosen twelve to go with the Lord Jesus Christ, those apostles, to spend time daily during His earthly ministry, to see Him in person, and, and how what an honor that would have been. But if you study out their lives, you realize there's not a lot of impressive things about them. In fact, you know, you find out one of them, he curses a lot, another one's a tax collector, another one's a doctor, you know, another's, others are carpenters and fishermen. Hey, it's a lot of the same type of professions that you find in just a church just like this. And the truth is, I began to realize, you know what, they were so greatly used of God, but it was not because of some potential that they had but it was what they were yielded and, and allowing God to do through them. And there's no doubt in my mind that God looks down on a church this size and there are individuals that are here who God would love to do something great with, but, but the truth is we're not yielded. We're not willing to go. We're not willing to go not only around the world, but outside these church doors. We, we hit the parking lot and we head to the house, don't we? We see great potential in the disciples, but it wasn't because of them. If you don't feel adequate, let me encourage you. Me either. Me either. But you're in good company. What did Moses say? Moses said, when God called Moses out of the burning bush, he said, but I'm, I'm, I have, a, I have, I'm slow of speech. He had a stuttering problem, but God used Moses greatly, probably the greatest in the New Testament or Old Testament. And then, and then you've got David. David was the smallest of his brothers, but he was a great king over all Israel. They say that Paul, who I believe not only was the greatest missionary outside the Lord Jesus Christ, but I believe Paul was the greatest missionary and probably the greatest Christian uh, that we find in the the Scriptures. And the truth is, Paul, according to to historians, Paul was a very frail, weak man. He, he besought the Lord three times for an infirmity that, that he had. And the Lord chose, and he said, you know what? I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Hey, the truth is that, that all of these men, God didn't call them because they were something great. He called them and when they were willing to be used, God did something great through them. And we see that all throughout scripture. And the truth is we can see that again today. And I don't believe there's anyone here this evening. If I said, if you'd like for God to do something great with your with your life, raise your hand. I, I believe every hand in here would be raised. That should be the desire of every Christian that God would do something great with your life. I like what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody said there are many of us willing to do great things for God, but few who are willing to do the little things. And the truth is, you know what? God may not call you to, to China or to some foreign mission land, but God may call you to go speak to your neighbor Joe across the street. But the bad thing is, is we have this idea that, you know, talking to Joe across the street, that's not a big deal. Hey, let me encourage you. In Luke fifteen ten, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repenteth. Hey, the truth is, it is a big deal when one person comes to Christ, if all of heaven is rejoicing about it. 
I think we need to get our, our, our eyes on our own view and what we consider a success and look at what God calls a success. I see great potential in the disciples. Um, you can leave your place there. Go with me to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. There's such a great, the, the there's such a great, um, passage here. Romans chapter 12, verses number 1 and 2. Uh, while you're turning there, any time in your Christian life, you may have heard uh, the term being surrendered uh, to the Lord's will for your life. And I, I, I've used that term a lot, and I do have some understanding about what that means. Uh, but uh, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, if you'll follow along with me. In, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hey, hey, the truth is, that word surrender, it's not even in that verse. Those two verses. Let, let me go a step further. This may interest you. If you have a strong concordance, go home. If you have, If you have it on your phone, look it up. And that word surrender is not even in the King James Bible. That's very interesting when we preach a lot about being surrendered to the Lord's will for your life. And I do understand that. And I use that term from time to time. But let's use God's words for it. Okay, verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your body a living sacrifice. I'm going to impress my wife with this. My wife is my English teacher. That word present is an action verb. Do you hear that, honey? That word present is an act, not bad for Georgia boy. But, but no, that word present is an action verb. It doesn't say surrender anywhere in there. That word surrender that we so commonly use, that's a military term. That has the idea that the enemy has us completely surrounded. And if we don't give up and wave the white flag and surrender, they're going to kill us. Hey, the truth is, that's the wrong idea to have about a heavenly Father that loves you. God's not some enemy that has us surrounded that says, hey, look, if you don't serve me with your life, I'm going to kill you right here. No, that's not the Lord. That's not according to Scriptures. He said that He is to present. You are to present your body a living sacrifice. Hold on, that's an action verb. That means I'm taking the action. But let me encourage you on on June the four, June the fifteenth of two thousand and four, in Fort Gillum, Georgia, I raised my right hand. I took what's called the oath of enlistment, swearing to protect and defend our Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Guess what? We don't have a draft anymore. It wasn't by gunpoint or by some threat of prison. No, we have a volunteer military force today, and the truth is. You know, we have a voluntary force to serve God with right here. And the truth is, He wants you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Look at verse number one again. At the end of the verse, it says, which is your what? Reasonable service. Hey, we have an idea today. Hey, if I'm to serve God with my life, that's, if someone surrenders to do that, that that's some unreasonable thing. No, he said, which is your reasonable service? What does he mean by that? Because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross and saving your sinful soul 
from hell. It is your reasonable service to present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That's your reasonable service. And the truth is, in a church this size, there are definitely people who God would love for them to present their bodies a living sacrifice. Would to God we would. We'd see the potential of the disciples, but we'd see it in our own lives. The potential of God to use us. I love it because there, there's not, it's not because of some greatness that's in us. We see the little lad. He comes to the disciples. We have a multitude of people, 5,000 men plus women and children. They're sitting, do we send them away? We only have this much. It's not enough to feed so many people. Hold on, but there's a little lad. And he took and he brought what he had, what little bitty offering that he had, and he gave it all. He gave it all. And what did God do? A, a miracle through it. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. The sad thing today is there are many of us looking to do of our good pleasure. Mm. We see the potential of the disciples. The last one, I'm circling the runway, coming in for landing very soon. The last one, Roman numeral 4, we see the, the position of the disciples. Of course, they, they no longer were those fishermen. They no longer served their father in the family business. No, they, they got in a promotion that day. And because of their willingness, their, their yieldedness, not only they immediately left their father and the ship and followed him. They received a new position. I'm glad the new position we've received and through, through Jesus Christ, we've been adopted. We can be called the sons of God, John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The truth is, in our, in our horrible position that we were previously in, what mercy in God sending his only begotten son to die and, and be scourged and tortured and punished on our behalf. You ever realize one day you'll stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if He were you? He paid the penalty that you owe. He paid the penalty that I owe. And the truth is we can have and you can have a new position in Him. Just like these disciples, they had a new position in Christ. In closing, all of this was on the subject, are you ready to serve God? How many of us in here would say, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about the Lord. You know, it's, it's very clear, very transparent what we really care about. What we're really passionate about, what we really love. You spend any time around me or, or my family, I'm going to talk about my wife. I'm going to talk about my children. I'm probably going to talk about fishing, bass fishing specifically. I'm going to talk about college football. I'm going to talk about all of those things. But listen, how, much, how often does Jesus come up in conversation? Are you passionate about it? Secondly, are you prepared to serve the Lord? 
Are you prepared to serve the Lord? So you've made a profession of faith. You're a Christian. We, without a doubt, you know you're on your way to heaven. How much time have you been preparing to serve the Lord? You know, the truth is, we come to church week in, week out, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Since we've been on deputation, we've been, we, we've been in more church than most Christians have in, in their lives. But with all the conferences and those different things. Hey, but the truth is, we get this idea that when I'm, I'm coming to church, I'm, I'm doing something for the Lord. No, the truth is, when you come to church, that's the Lord serving you. You're the one being fed in that. You're not doing nothing. You're not doing nothing for Him. That's a commandment. Hebrews 10.25. Are you prepared to serve the Lord? Have you spent time daily in His Word? Have you, have you begun to study the Scriptures? Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hey, are you spending time preparing? Thirdly, are you ready to do something great for God? D.L. Moody said, The world has yet to see what God can, can do with a man con- fully consecrated to Him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. Hey, would you say that? Would you say, I want to be so sold out and fully consecrated to the Lord that He would do something great with my life? Is that is that your desire? And then lastly, do you have a new position in Christ? Have you been born again? If today were the last day, you know, I've, I've heard this said over and over, if you knew what day you, you were, was going to be your last day, it would affect your life. If you knew what it was. And the truth is, many of us, we think we got forever. Oh, they're just a young man. They're just a young lady. I'll put off serving the Lord for later. I'll put off getting saved till later. I still, I still enjoy some of these things. The truth is, life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. The truth is, you're not promised tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 You're not promised tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. If you're not saved, it would be a shame to leave a church like this and to not know for sure that heaven will be your home. Would you, would you bow in prayer with me this evening? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you for this great church, Walters Baptist Church. Pastor Weber, the people here, they've been an encouragement to me. Lord, thank you for the message you've laid on my heart. Holy Spirit, as pastor comes and closes out the service, however he sees fit, I pray that Jesus would receive all the preeminence. Holy Spirit, do a work in hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.